This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 607, and the quote of the day is, patience is not the ability to wait, patience is the ability to have a good attitude while waiting. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 607. And before we get into this episode, I want to thank Max for connecting Gene and I. This would not be possible without him connecting us. And I'll be honest with you, I did not know much about Gene before this episode and or before scheduling this episode, I should say. And one of the beauties of doing this podcast is I get to go deep into people's lives, their catalog, things that they played on. And I'm just going to go out and I'm just going to put it on the record and say, Gene is arguably one of the most underrated drummers I've ever come across between his work with Maxwell and Joe Zywinall and a slew of other people, Marcus Miller. I, I just got to go through his catalog of things that he's played on and I'm extremely blown away. He's a Berkeley grad, grew up uh, in, a, in a musical family. His dad's a professional musician and you know the stories that he has and and the insights that he has not only from learning from his father but then also the things that he's learned throughout his career and there's a lot of similarities on what his dad taught him versus what he's talking about now so to me when something stands the test of time meaning wisdom or approaches or thought processes then I think it's something we need to pay attention to. And Gene definitely uh, not only embodies that, but but talks about that in detail a lot in, in this episode. So I'm not going to waste any more time. I'm going to get into it with Mr. Gene Lake. What's going on, my man? Welcome to the podcast. All right. Thanks for having me, Nick. It's, you know, hard time. Not a hard time, but we had a long time hooking this up and making this happen. But uh, here we, here we yeah. are. That's, uh, it, that's my fault, and I apologize about that. <laughs> no, it's that. all good. It's all good. <laughs> Something, you had mentioned the Omar Hakim yeah. one, the, the uh, off-air of the Omar Hakim episode. That, took, uh, that was originally scheduled in, I think, 2014, and then we recorded it at we recorded it in 2020. Wow. Wow. So there you go. <laughs> so it took, yeah. yeah. So sometimes they take a while. Sometimes uh, they get, they get quickly, they get quickly recorded. So, um, but man, so every time I'm doing uh, an episode with someone, I obviously like dig into their, their catalog and dig into uh, trying to, you know, hear a bunch of different things that they're, that they played on and things like mm-hmm. that. One of the things that sticks out to me about you the most is the sort of the crispness of what you play and how fluid you are in your playing but it's all but it's musical at the same time because I think a lot of times 
when people have a lot of technical prowess, it sort of strips some of the musicality out of what they're playing. Mm-hmm. You've married both and put the two together and be like, oh, I'm going to be really musical, but I'm also going to have this this really good technical proficiency. Um, is that something that you that you purposely worked on or is that, was that just sort of a, a byproduct of you just learning mute, you learning to play musically in general? I would say both really, you know, I would say both. Um, I mean, you know, coming up in a musical family, you know, my father's Oliver Lake, he's a saxophone player. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I was in high school, you know, he had all these bands around that he was in that I would listen to. That was a you know big influence on me. One of them was a band called jump up, which was like a funk reggae band. And, mm-hmm. and just having musicians around, really. So, and also, I think the period in which, you know, I come up in where kind of like all the genres, I should say, that I was interested in when subgenres were, you know, I don't want to be <laughs> offend anyone and say complete, but I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it was kind of complete. And so my thinking, you know, as a musician was more like, you know, you want to kind of cover all these genres you know what i mean at which point you got to kind of develop your musicality first you know and have to have something to say and then it kind of you know it's spread out from there you know then expressing myself on the kit that kind of thing so yeah growing up with your with a father being a musician of a very talented musician um how much of how much of that was coming from him where he was making you understand how important musicality is uh, wow, that's an interesting question. Because my father was not, not proactive in this kind of way of like, you must do this or you must practice that, that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, but just having me around, really. And a lot of musicians and mm-hmm. different drummers, you know, that I took, you know, lessons with were of that same style where it was like, you know, just come hang out, come check out the music and check out the vibe. And uh, put that in air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> you're not recording this video um but yeah it's you know and so it was more like you're picking it up through osmosis like a lifestyle that you're getting into you know it's the culture mm-hmm. right and so that was yeah. featured you know so there wasn't my father wasn't really proactive like i'm you know you must learn this and learn that it was more like i mean i had him as a role model he himself was doing a lot of different you know styles of music so that was kind of right where I, the road i traveled you know mm-hmm the interesting thing that you say about learning through osmosis, so this is a this is a stretch of an analogy, but uh, I didn't grow up with musician parents, but I grew up with uh, with parents who owned a restaurant, owned businesses and things like that. And growing up, I learned about business through osmosis. And when I started to get a little bit older and started interacting with people, I didn't understand why other people didn't understand business. I was like, how do you not know this? And they're like, how do you know this? Exactly. Right. <laughs> And I would, and I would imagine you probably had the same thing, where like you didn't necessarily think, "Oh, I'm learning it this way." You were like, "This is just how people do it," and then didn't even realize that, like, "Oh, there's this whole other way of learning that like has nothing to do with music. It's just about about like chops and and numbers and and letters on a page." Yeah, yeah, that's interesting you say that because there was a bit of that for me, and I. I I guess probably after college, I became aware of that, that, you know, people learn just that way. Like you say, through osmosis, you know, what's, what's brain sweat mm-hmm. for another person 
you know, it, it may not be brain sweat. It may be just like, well, this is how we operate. This is our modus operandi. This is what we do. There's something you've seen around you for you to absorb it. Right. And so when you right. go out, set out to do it, you're just doing it because it's it, there's no like I said, there's no what I call like they call brain sweat. It's not a lot of, you know, it's not heavy for you. You just kind of go do it. You know what I mean? And, and so right. to your point, I think you're right. I mean, for me, you know, that was a style I learned. And when I see people and I give lessons with different drummers and, you know, bass players, I've been doing that a lot lately, working at the new school, <laughs> having le lessons mm -hmm. with bass players because I play bass myself a little bit. You know, I can see a little bit what's missing. You know, I take more of a holistic approach. So, you, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, and you're right. You know, there, there are certain things, you know, I have to, you know, a lot of times my lessons, I should say, are, are tailored to the musician I'm, I'm, I'm teaching or dealing with or trying right. to impart something to, you know. Do you feel like there's, do you, do you feel like there's uh, patterns that you're seeing that, that musicians are typically lacking in a, in a specific area or is it all over the board? I do, I do think, you know, things are narrowing, you know, the scope of music these days is narrowing and, you know, and, and given that, you know, at least is what I'm seeing with some of the students I have, and given that, you know, they want to play music of a certain style, you know, I mean, like, for instance, we could just throw on Weather Report, you know, I'll stay with that because I was a big fan, and a big fan of Omar Hakim as well, you mentioned earlier, or at mm -hmm. least I think you did. <laughs> at any rate, yeah. I did. And and um, for the record, I'm a huge weather. Oh, there you fan, go. So, so I'll I'll use them because uh, we both are. So that music, you know, it's a particular kind of fusion of jazz and pop and mm -hmm. and just a lot of music happening within that. There's a you know, and between let's say Wayne Shorter and and um, and Joe Zawinul, there's a lot of music, musicality, a lot of history that's infused in those songs that we hear that we like and we love. You know, by Weather Report. And it took a while for that stuff to get there. And I think today, mm -hmm. students, you know, they kind of just want to do it. Not, maybe it's just part of being young. You know, you, you, you just want to get right to what you want to do, not knowing that. You, when, sorry yeah. to interrupt you, but when you say it took a while to get there, you, you mean from a, from a practice standpoint, they're like learning that. Exactly. You know, you know, you know what it. we're hearing in terms of, you know, these compositions from these guys is, you know, their own particular, you know, compositional expression of their life of what they like you know different things of what who they are as a musician as a person all these things feed mm -hmm. into it and so you know with students you know i mean i could be saying something mundane here about students which is that you know they want to get to stuff right away not knowing you actually have to go practice it takes a while you know you, yeah. you, you have to learn yeah. your craft right so mm -hmm. um and then there's the other side of it where where I, and and I'd like to hear your opinion on this, but to me, I think it's a lot, it's easy to just listen to something and then create sort of like your bastardized version of it and be like, oh yeah, that sounds like what they're playing, but you're not really getting to like the root of what they're actually playing or actually playing it correctly or. Yeah. You, you know, it's just interesting you say that because I, maybe I toggle back and forth between this idea, which is, I mean, you know, I, I myself play music from the past. Am I, culturally from the experiences of those people that created music of the past? No, you know? Right, but, right. But there's a piece of me that identifies with it. So it's, I think it's... And I'd argue that you studied the history too, and you know where it's coming from. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, yeah, exactly. So you got to dive into that part of it, I think, because in terms of where the music's coming from, and then put your own take on it so that it sounds like you. You know, I mean, I'm a big Prince fan as well. You know, I do some of that kind of stuff. I can't do Prince, but I like 
what he was, the ingredients and different things he was working with, the blues and all that. Right. But, you know, I don't want to sit up and write something and be totally derivative. So, you know, you got to mm -hmm. find your own spot, you know, you got to find your, you got to find your, your own take with, within the music you're trying to, the genre you're trying to express yourself and be really honest, right? And be, and be mm -hmm. truthful with what you're putting forward. So that's, that's really the goal, yeah. you know? Why, you had mentioned earlier that you think that everyone's scope is narrowing a little okay. bit. Why do you think that is? Well, uh, I, man, it'll get me to start to try to intellectualize what's happening. <laughs> That's just what I'm hearing. I really, you know. I mean, we can, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can go down that road if you yeah. want to. I'm happy to have that conversation. Because yeah, no. I have my own thoughts on okay. it. So, but I, I'm okay. Inter I'm interested in it. I mean, you know, there's just less... Well, I, I put it to it by contrast, maybe, I, you know, at least a period in which I come up with, you know, come up in, you know, the 70s and 80s, you know, there were all these different bands, self-contained bands, right? And they all had their drummers mm -hmm. and they all had the guitars and bass players that all expressed themselves differently in the whole, you know, pop music landscape. And there were different styles right. and flavors of the same energy, so to speak, you know what I mean? And so... Mm -hmm. That's what I grew up on. That's what I like in my, you know, my, so my scope is real broad in that sense. but. My, my musical scope, rather, uh, you know, is, is, is broad. But if you, today I, I hear that, you know, it's starting to shrink. It's truncating. It's getting truncated. The music that we hear on the radio, the type of, um, the type of songs, you know, and, and part of it is the marketplace as well. Mm -hmm. You know, part of it is the marketplace yeah. because, I mean, the music industry has changed, right? That's just simply yeah. one big piece of it. And that plays a part in it, you know what I mean? I think, mm -hmm. you know, I could have just said that and left it right there, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know? No, I agree with you. I think that there, you know, before you would go to a record store or you would go to your friend's house and you would look through their records or their CDs or their tapes or whatever, and you would go see live music. And, and there were all, you know, there were there were all these different radio stations and all that stuff that where you were, you could get exposed to all these things. Not that there's not radio stations now, but like music, where do you go? You go to Spotify, which has curated playlists and they force it down your throat. And then there's not a ton of discovery. There's not a, you know, you can go on Pandora and, and Apple music. And that's about it. Right. You know, and like all the consumption, like where does everyone spend most of their time now online? What are they, if they're listening to music or getting information, where are they getting it from? They get it from Instagram and Facebook and they get it from Spotify, Apple music and Pandora. Right. And it's like, even it's like, we, I, I feel like we, we all sort of live in a vacuum now where it's like, it's just the same thing over and over and over and over again. And you're like, Oh, that's, and it just sh shrinks your, yeah. your viewpoint. Yeah. And it's like, that's, that's the music that's out there. And it's like, man, there's so much other music out there, but how do we find it? That's the hard part. The discovery. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, you're, you're right. It's out there, right? It's just about, you're not going to discover so much in the sort of the, you know, the, the beating path, you know, the, the street, the, the streaming right. sites and all of that, because like I said, then there's the market forces into it. And then the music industry is just not, you know, we all know it's not set up. The paradigm has shifted a while ago, maybe 20 years ago, and it's not coming back mm -hmm. the way it was. And, uh, and also, at the end of the day, you know, music, you know, it, it, it's, the music is, you know, it's in the humanities. So it's always about the people. You, you know, you got people right. who set up labels. Like, like, for instance, like we just, we just take rap, but this happened in jazz as well. You know, you got guys who got excited about rap and 
the cultural expression of it and the whole culture thing of, of rap and painting and, you know, graffiti and all that stuff. And so there were all these labels and stuff that were set up and people who wanted to feature the culture of hip hop, you know, no matter what branches and people got involved and made it happen. And I know I'm saying something that we all know, but what I'm trying to highlight here is that it's still, you know, there were all these people that got involved that, you know, created the infrastructure for that genre to sort of kind of get out to the public. And so with the music right. industry now kind of pulling back a certain kind of way and it becomes about the numbers and trying to get the music to the people. And then to me, that feeds into the shrinking, you know, the, you know, the scope of musicality yeah. that we hear in the music, the kind of music that gets pushed, you know, so that, you know, yep. that's, that's the business end of it, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And, so what, where do you think, or where, or let me ask you this, where are you finding new music? Where am I? Pretty much through friends, <laughs> you yeah. know, people who recommend stuff, you know, who say, oh, check this out. You know, I got to give a plug to my to my to my brother, Jahi Lake, who put a who put a uh, record out recently. And it is called Love Isn't Enough. And he released it mm -hmm. through this digital, you know, I think it's digital distribution. It was a digital release. And and mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, people are doing that kind of thing, you know what I mean? So, you know, they're, they're, you know, with the diminishing of one thing, there's a rise of another. So there is hope, you know, people are doing this kind of thing. You're doing this kind of podcast, people talking in the word out this way. So, you know, yeah. there's, there's other ways, but mostly through, to answer your question, it's mostly through, you know, musicians, friends of mine who say, oh, check this out. You might like this, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, the thing, I, I think that I always come across, uh, not always, but a lot of times on this podcast, I feel like I come across like I'm being negative or, or like I'm bemoaning what's going on in the music industry, which I'm not. Right. I'm just like, I think one, everyone needs to understand that it's changed. And I think it's opened the doors for a lot of amazing thing, for, you know, for a lot of amazing music that's out there that we may have never even heard of before had it had to go through like the proper channels and gatekeepers like it had two years ago. Um, and like, I'm optimistic. I'm like, man, there's so much good music that's getting created out there. The, the part that I'm, the part that I like, I'm upset about or that I struggle with is that it's hard to find that music. Yeah. You, yeah. You know? Not that, not that I think about it. Yeah. It's, I guess you're right. Because I've, the thing is that there are a lot of, there are a lot of good musicians out there. A lot of people, you know, creating their own, you know, blend of jazz and, you know, doing their own style of music out there. It's just, Right. I guess it's just like it's, you know, there, there isn't the infrastructure, you know, there's not like an AACM, you know, label. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. You know, what that might feature certain style of musicians and it has a platform to reach people. I mean, there are labels out there doing this kind of thing again, but I think, you mm -hmm. know, I guess, I don't know, maybe I'm just talking about something that's already been spoken about to death here, which is, which is no, that no, music no. is just kind of taking a back seat. You know, I'm used to it being in a problem, you know, like I got my kids, they're doing video games all the time and they got other ways to entertain themselves. Right. So, so it's a right, different right. kind of thing, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, when I think about it, yeah, there's lots of good music out there. So yeah, I'm not, you know, going that, taking that route at all that it's, you know, it's, it's all bleak, you know? Yeah. You know, yeah. you just, you just got to find a lot of different styles from a lot of different people. Whereas with one group, it might've been like, say, go back to weather report, you might find a, a, a kind of different, the scope of music that was expressed within that group was a little broader put it that way mm -hmm. you know yeah. yeah yeah i think the the uh the the one downside that i keep that i talked about a lot is like you know unless you're a pop band it's pretty hard it's not impossible it's pretty hard to make a a living 
playing music now. Like if you start a band, you know, if you put a, an organ trio together, you know, it's going to be hard to go out and, and really make a living doing that. Unfortunately. Yeah, well, especially, especially these times now, right? I mean, this is, well now, especially yeah, this is yeah. Listen, <laughs> disclaimer. Don't start a band. Yeah, exactly. right now. <laughs> yeah no. Or rehearse your band right now. So you're really good when you can go to. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're I, you know, I guess once all this starts to clear up, you know, it'll, People, you know, people in the midst of now, right in the midst of it now, trying to, you know, figure it out what's going to be the next, you know, try not to let grass grow under their feet, you know, while it's all happening and try to have a yeah. digital presence with music. And, you know, people are trying to figure it out. You know, I have confidence musicians yeah. will. So that's that's what's yeah, happening. Me too. Yeah. I, and honestly, man, I think it's all just going to come back and be normal. Oh, you do? OK. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's going to go back to like, you know, the golden right. era where we're like, right. you know, well, I don't mean that, but I think it's going to I think. You know, we're going to get back to normal and people are going to be playing shows right. and, and touring and doing all that. I just, I think it's going to be a little bit further down the road than everyone thinks, but it'll come back. And people, people want to see live music, right. man. You know, people have that, have that pent up energy to go. I said the other day, I was like, I would pay a lot of money to go see a really bad band. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like a horrible band. Right. Yeah, no. <laughs> to go, just to see live music. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, this is, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's going to be interesting once this thing starts to let up and see what what takes shape so yeah we'll see so we had mentioned uh a little bit about what you i mean you mentioned weather report you you mentioned you sort of have this wide scope you like prints what was what was a young gene listening to like what were you filling your ears with when you were you know sort of like not doing it because you felt like you had to learn just doing it because it's just what you dug well, man, I was, you know, in the 70s, I was listening to R&B, you know, all the mm -hmm. stuff that was popular at the time, you know, you know, it's like you had to have, I mean, there was, to me, there were so many records that, or groups, I should say, that, that uh, kind of, you know, hit their strides in the 70s. It was like, you had to have records, and, you know, Earth, Wind & Fire was, you know, Gratitude was one of them, you know, all of the, all of those records they put out in the 70s, really, all of the, you yeah. know, the Bob Marley stuff, you know. Uh, you know, see what I was listening to. Of course, listen to you know the top forty radio at the time, but you know groups that were kind of you were know, well, the groups uh, that I was listening to. Where I had the records. You know, we say the Commodores. Mm -hmm. You know, Parliament Funkadelic. You know, all all the classic stuff. You know, all I was listening to R and B. Right. I was immersed in that, and it continued. You know, when I moved from St. Louis in nineteen eighty two to high school, where I was getting into more jazz you know and it started with me listening to more weather report and from there kind of went back a bit you know of course you checked more of miles right. and train and it starts that journey you know um mm -hmm. but you know yeah it it was a you know the major r&b groups and funk groups and that's what i was listening to you know, ohio players is that what made you mm -hmm. oh yeah is that what is that what made you want to play drums or was it seeing your dad play and then being knowing that you wanted to be a musician and just kind of you know figuring out your path to the drums. Yeah, no, it was it was the latter. I mean, you know, I saw my father play drums, play, play like a like a regular type of funk beat one time, maybe when I was like four or five, and I was just amazed because he was playing saxophone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I thought, oh shoot, man, this guy can play drums too. I mean, I was already playing drums because I kind of feel like the drums kind of chose me. You know what I mean? But when I saw my father do it, it definitely hit me like, okay, you know. It was it was inspiration, or put it that way, because I mean, I, you right. know, because ultimately becoming a musician was definitely inspired 
by my father. I mean, I saw, I have that example in front of me of, you know, of how to become a musician, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was, that was a big part of, you know, I would say me becoming a musician and choosing the drums, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you thinking, were you thinking that this was going to be a career or were you thinking maybe I'll do this on the side? Did your dad have any, I, I talked to a lot of people where like their parents were sort of, they were either professional musicians or semi-professional musicians. And they were like, look, don't go down this okay. road, like, play music for fun, right. uh, but don't do it as a career. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, no, I was definitely thinking about, you know, doing music you know professionally you know when i was in high school you know i was good friends with this drummer his name was ben porowski and his dad was a saxophone player and we both shared our senior jazz band drum chair you know for our senior year Mm -hmm. and we you know we went to berkeley you know and we did the whole thing and so that i i mentioned that because you know the trajectory from my high school music and art high school which is in new york and harlem at the time to then go on to berkeley was to me it was just like a it was a no-brainer, and it was also a part of this thought of this is how you become, you know, educated in being a musician and become a, a becoming a professional musician. So, so right, yeah, right. no, the, the thought was there. You know, I never looked back. That was it. yeah, yeah, that was it. That's the way yeah. to do it. How was your experience at Berkeley? I like Berkeley. Berkeley, you know, I was there yeah. for two years. Felt like ten. <laughs> you know. I, Oh, really? Like 10. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was there. I, I put in a lot of work, you know, a lot of things I learned there have stayed with, you know, still with me this day, to this day. Mm-hmm. And no, my Berkeley experience was great. You know, what are, what do you feel like some, some were the, what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned at Berkeley? Wow. <laughs> biggest lessons. Mm, wow. Lessons. I mean, see, the thing is, I learned a lot of, a lot of music, you know, I got into school right away and I started working mm-hmm. and playing with seniors and doing a lot of recitals and, you know, from different genres and, you know, just, I guess the le- overall lesson for me, you know, somebody who wanted to, you know, try to be articulate in a lot of different genres, you know, I play, I did just that, you know, I played with a lot right. of people, you know, doing some funk stuff, doing some 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 jazz stuff. I, I never really professionally did a lot of jazz stuff, but you know, I did that in at, at Berkeley. And so, the, I guess the overall mm-hmm. lesson was it just helped me broaden my my musical my musicality, right? It just helped me to right. Right. and my sense about just about music in general. You know, me personally, there mm-hmm. being there, I mean, I learned a lot. You know, studying harmony and and uh, you know, just digging into the music. You know. And, uh, and other kinds of ways, you know, but right, right. that to me, that was the biggest lesson, you know. The, the thing that's always interesting to me is guys like you who have mastered all of these different styles. And I think it's, I think it's overwhelming for a lot of people to, because there's so many styles to learn there's, and, and once you're working on one, you sort of get distracted and say, Oh, I should be working on, you know, I'm working on shuffles. I should be working on funk. I'm working on funk. I should be working on jazz. I'm working on this. I should be working mm. on that. What, what's your advice for, for people who want to 
be well versed in a lot of different styles. How do you how do you start to tackle that? And how do you know sort of when it's time? This might be a hard question, but how do you know when it's time to sort of move on to the next style <laughs> and start to really dig into that? Because you never get you, like you don't get to the end one day and it's like okay, you've learned everything you need to know about funk. Now it's time to move on to jazz. You know. Well, I, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is not to be judgmental. You know. And that doesn't mm-hmm. even start with music. That's about, you know, a particular kind of introspection about, you know, how you feel about just music in general. You know what I mean? Right. And so it's just really like, you know, if you like it or not, you know what I mean? I, in other words, it's, yeah, so if you start there, you know, it's like, it's like, okay, I want to do some reggae. Well, do you, you know, you, and you want to play reggae and you, you know, you just put your best foot forward and be truthful and be sincere. You know, I heard, mm-hmm. I heard Jimmy Jamner say this, which I thought it just stayed with me. He said, what, what, what comes from the heart goes to the heart, you know? And, and, and so mm. it's just a certain way of saying, you know, you got to, you know, have a truthful presentation and all that other stuff, you know, it, it'll take care of itself. You know, if you, once you, if you jump into something and you're sincere, I mean, obviously there's some other components to it. You know what I mean? There, there are people who play reggae better than other folks, you know, this kind sure. of thing. But, you know, so outside of working on it, you know, you, you just have to be open. You have to be open mm-hmm. to, you know, and not be judgmental about, you know, oh, yeah. well, I'm just doing jazz. Forget that. I'm not doing that. Well, I'm just doing, you know, uh, funk and jazz sucks. And, or I'm just doing what, you know, right. <laughs> just doing my rock and I don't play that reggae stuff. You know what I mean? You know, try, you know, yeah. it's, you, you know, so you can't be in that mindset. You know, it's mm-hmm. about really, um, really just good and bad music it's good stuff and it's some bad stuff you know and that that's objective really right yeah yeah i mean well yeah what do they say there's two kinds of music good music there you go music, right? uh but i remember talking to indugu chancellor and he said the same thing where he said that you know don't why why do we have to compartmentalize this right thing? why does it have to be I'm, I'm working on jazz or I'm working on funk or even talk. He's like, you know, there's, there's jazz inside of funk. There's funk inside of jazz. There's, there's rock inside of blue. You know, there's, it's like, he's like, it's all music. That's right. So why do we got to like put these boxes around, around every single one of them? Uh, right. Right. You know? Yeah. That's, that's, that's well said. Exactly. So once you, right. So once you, because once, I guess with the judgment, you erect these parameters and that could keep, you know, that could keep you from sliding over, you know, to, to a genre, right? Because of, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, you know, I played in this band called the Screaming Headless Torsos where the guitarist uh, David Fusinski uh, mm-hmm. was the leader. And, and in that band, you know, the compositions would go through, you know, some funk. The bridge would be ska. And then at the end of that, it would be thrash. And then back to then back to some <laughs> funk, you know, and and I dug it. I dug the you know just the mixing of it all, and and yeah, I mean he you know this was where he was at in terms of you know you know comp, you know compositionally, and mm-hmm. and it's it took a while for me you know to glue it all together in my mind, but after a while right. from playing, you know, I played with David for a while and uh, for a long time for. For a decade, more than a decade, and uh, you know, it, it started to click to me on what what this presentation was. You know, what what we was trying mm-hmm. to get into, and uh, 
and it, it was slick, you know what I mean? It was like, yo, it was like, yeah. it was kind of like what we'd come up with in the 80s, you know, all this music. And he's like, oh, I want to take these genres and just kind of, you know, blend them together and, and, see, right. <laughs> and see what we get, you know what I mean? And, uh, and, yeah. and I, I guess the biggest element was that all the musicians in the van were open to it. That was the biggest thing. Everyone's proficient on their instrument to, to play, you know, mm -hmm. execute, you know, but being open. Right. Being open to the right. idea that, you know, well, we can do this funk with this thrash and we can't put this thrash with this ska. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. what made it work because everyone was 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 on board with that idea. Right. As mm -hmm. opposed to like, well, mm -hmm. you know, say if I'm the bass player, I'm like, man, this this ska section. This is garbage. This is not this is not working. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like he's got this attitude every time we get to the ska section. No one had that vibe. Yeah. You know, we were totally, you know, in sync with what was happening and what, what David Fusinski was composing at the time so you know and i do think the 80s is sort of emblematic of that at least for musicians you know of of that kind of thinking you know if there was all these genres that people wanted to put together i mean we saw this a little bit with the police where they kind of blended mm -hmm. reggae with rock and you know what i mean it yep. was just all these little amalgams right and different styles that were being blended with other things that kind of came about so that was kind right. of my era you know the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series snares are amazing, and so are the artist drums. Designed by Russ Miller, the Versatus, Maple Mahogany Hybrid Shell offers a naturally pre-processed sound with just the right amount of low-end, articulation, and punch. A single SAS ring on the batter side only, a unique bearing edge combination, and the ideal depth size proportion all contribute to the perfect balance of strength, functionality, feel, and beauty for all playing situations. This drum is available in both a 14 by 6.5 and a 14 by 4 and 5 eighths. To learn more about the Versatus and the rest of the entire Design Lab series, check out mapexdrums.com. Great news from Evans Drumheads. Now you can turn your drumheads into a work of art with their custom drumheads. All you have to do is upload your design and they print it using high quality photo resolution images directly onto the drumhead. And they're available in sizes everywhere from 16 to 26. And let me tell you, these things look amazing. They sent me a bass drumhead with the Drummer's Resource logo on it. I was blown away. It looks so cool. And the best part is you can save 20% by using the promo code DRUMMER20, DRUMMER and then the numbers 20. So if you go to evansdrumheads.com, use the promo code DRUMMER20, you can not only save 20%, but you can also get yourself some amazing looking heads. The offer only runs until December 31st. So make sure you do it today. Go to evansdrumheads.com, use the promo code DRUMMER20. And that openness is gets talked about a lot, and, and it's extremely important because you, if you're open to these things, then who knows where it's going to go? I just had I just had Joe Russo on a couple uh, a couple weeks ago, and he grew up in the '80s listening to you know heart. He was listening to Van Halen and all this other stuff. Was a rock drummer, mm -hmm. and and was like and started to learn these other styles of music through other people. And he was like, I kept an open mind. And then he's like, he's in further with the guys from the Grateful Dead. And now he has a huge Grateful Dead band, wow. you know? And he's like, I wasn't into any of that stuff before. Mm. 
but it's like that openness and just being willing to to explore these different things like you said instead of being instead of being closed-minded i think I think there's a a lot of that. I remember for years I was like, I don't want to play in a band that uses a distortion pedal. Okay, <laughs> like dead serious. Wow. I was I was dead serious about it because I didn't think that it was like, like I don't know. I didn't think it was funky. And I was also 17 and had no idea what I was talking about. But, uh, but it's like, and and I think that hurt me for a while, like being closed minded to things. Uh, so. This this is this is like cathartic for me to talk to you about this because I'm like, yeah, because I saw it open up my eyes and open up my playing and open up, you know, uh, some some, uh, you know, experiences for me. Mm-hmm. So I think that is super important to to stay open to, to all these different things for sure. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's what's resonating with me, with me now is what you just said, you know, mentioned about, you know, Ndugu. Uh, the drummer, I, well, how do you say his name? Is it Dungu Chancellor? Chan- Dungu Chancellor, yeah. Which is that, you know, there's funk inside of jazz, and that's interesting because when I listen to Max Roach, I do hear the funk. <laughs> Actually, right. I hear the funk inside a lot of the beats, he, you know, you know, the swing beats, rather, I should say, that, that mm-hmm. he was playing. You know, I hear an evolution there, you know. Um, and and so, yeah, there is, I guess, and even from, you know, blues to rock. And, 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 and once, I guess, you know, after playing music for a while, you know, you get in touch with where these things start to overlap, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it helps you to accept, I guess, just that, this, this mixing, the stretching of a, of a genre, you know, where, you, where it starts to, you know, take on a different sensibility. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it starts to move uh, in another direction that maybe people might not have thought it could go. And, uh, and in that sense, you know, from playing, you know, a lot of music over the years and working with a lot of different musicians, you know, me personally, yeah, I've been in touch with that connectivity, right? The connection mm-hmm. between all the genres and how they, you know, you know, what it is they're trying to feature. You know what I mean? So. Right, right. I don't know, like, for instance, like, you know, go back to Weather Report, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in love with this band and the music and the compositions, you know, it's just... It's hard not yeah, to be. so they kind of, to me, they kind of took a lot, they took somewhat of a pop sensibility and pasted it over jazz, and, but they also, mm-hmm. but within doing that, you know, you had to slow down the notes that were being offered, the chord changes that were coming at people, you know, I'm comparing, I'm thinking about, say, bebop, right? Sure. You know, if we compare it to the bebop, the changes are coming at you a little slower. The melody's not coming as fast. And so, you know, and then it's being packaged with a beat that people may be able to, more people, I should say, may be able to relate to than just, say, the jazz, the jazz audience, right? Mm-hmm. And so those are the elements that have been played around with. And as a result, they managed to reach people with different kinds of chord structures and different melodies that might not have been reached as a result of, you know, Right. You know, so had they not, I should say, done what they did, you know, which is uh, mm-hmm. put all those things together. So, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll leave that there. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that, that I'm thinking about as you're saying all of this stuff is real, when you were saying, okay, I realized that, you know, this style is blending into this one, or there's these sort of similarities, or there's these influences here or influences there. I'm thinking there's no way 
you could ever know this stuff unless you put in the time of playing all this stuff and learning all this stuff and and going through and like goes back to what we were saying before about being open to all of these different styles instead of because you could if you all you played was jazz you know let's just say you just played jazz but you're hearing all this other music you would never even make the connection you know that uh that there's like this funk inside of jazz or there's this stuff inside of jazz if you weren't playing all those other styles did i just confuse no. you or does no you totally make sense no 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 yeah <laughs> you're right no you're exactly right you know what also and you know as you're talking so you know i'm thinking i've and i haven't really articulated this but i was thinking you know also you know, work with michelle and cello bass player and mm-hmm. her, she was pretty much doing this kind of thing too i mean her first record you know had jerry allen a piano player on it and infusing in this this kind of jazz vibes into her groovy tunes you know what i mean the funk tunes mm-hmm. and when i started playing with her you know upon at least it was in 93 upon the release of her first cd it just kind of felt like it was for me you know playing with michelle kind of felt like where that's where i needed to be you know at the time right and it was where i was coming from i should put it like that which was that you know having a a, a semi sense about you know ability about jazz and funk and here it is now we got somebody who's putting those elements back together you know that was to me that was it felt like a hand in glove kind of thing so mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to mention that because you know you talking about you know the commonality between the genres and i kind of felt like for me, it was being able to put those two together was was really the goal, you know, at least, you know, right. that was right. really, really the goal and, 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 and to show that evolution and all to show the connection. Right. Mm hmm. Yep. So. How do you how how do you approach a gig like if you're if playing like in something like Lunar Crush versus playing with Marcus Miller and David Sanborn to like Maxwell? And those are, you know, they're different styles of music. Or to you, do you is it just it's just all music to you and that's it? Or is there a different sort of do you take a different approach when you're going into these different types of gigs? Yeah, I mean you're right. You know, yeah, I mean yeah, yes, <laughs> you have to take a different approach. I mean, you know, you know, it's funny. Like, okay, so you know, playing on Maxwell's first record. I mean, these are these are, these are groove tunes. These are R and B tunes. So, you know, at, mm-hmm. the, at that point, you know, as a drummer, I'm serving the music, right? You know, I mean, a lot of tunes I kind of, on his first record, I played, you know, where he wasn't there and we were literally just putting the foundations down on the tunes, you know? Right. Uh, you know, like something, like the song, like something, something. I put my part down, the bass player put his part down, <laughs> and then the keyboard mm-hmm. player put his part down, and then Maxwell came in and sang his part at the end. He actually, had, actually hadn't even writ- written the lyrics. So he wrote the lyrics and then huh. sang the tune. You know, and so that that record was put together that way, and I mentioned that one because I do kind of wish you know I had a idea of what the tune was going to be. You know what I mean? I had a small idea. They played some, you know a germ for me and gave me a form a little bit. You know, putting right. that tune together. But to answer your question, you say that say to Marcus Miller. I think the biggest thing is just about. I guess I trusted my my musicality. You know, and so. Mm-hmm. It's really about serving the situation, right? So, right. you know, Marcus has, when I was touring, this was 97, 98, 
when I did some touring with Marcus Miller, it was like, you know, he had, he, you know, he was, I guess he was still playing songs from his, the first record that he released in the 90s, The Sun Doesn't, Don't Lie or something like that, I think was the title of it. Mm-hmm. And we're playing a lot of the tunes off that record. And, you know, they're kind of, they're kind of groovy tunes. There's an R&B thing under it. Same kind of thing with some jazz overtones on top with the horns. And, right. You know, so it's really just about serving the, the, the music and the composition. You know what I mean? Unless, mm-hmm. you know, you get into a, a situation. Like the same thing with Sanborn. I mean, it was like, the cool thing about Sanborn is that it was a, it was really like a pop gig, but everybody's mentality was coming from a jazz situation, <laughs> you know, right, it was like right, jazz right, cats right. in New York. So that's what I dug. So it wasn't, you know, and that kept everything open. That kept it like, well, we could kind of go anywhere, even though this is, we have these kind of pop type tunes, you know, or mm-hmm. R&B songs, you know, but, but they could be arranged and we could take them anywhere. You know what I mean? And so right. it was right. about staying open like that. So me personally moving from group to group and playing from song to song, I guess the, 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 the first thing is just serving the song and serving, you know, particularly as a drummer, serving the, the artist and being there because it's a supportive role, right? The drums, right. you know. Yeah. So yeah, we're in the service. In the, yeah, you know <laughs> what I mean? So that's, that's what it is. Yeah. How do, you, how do you think that most of your gigs have come about or what do you think... Um, let me let me rephrase that question. Where where have most of your gigs come from? Was it auditions or was it through who you know getting referred from one gig to another? Like how did the Maxwell thing happen or how did you know how did you get hooked up with Samborn or or any of these guys? You know, in a in a sentence, you know, all of my gigs pretty much come through word of mouth. There was one right. gig that I got that was like through an audition and that was in top of 89. I auditioned for this R&B band called Surface. These uh, these uh, these cats out of out of New Jersey, <laughs> who I'm still friends with today. Mm-hmm. And um, nice. I went and auditioned. A friend of mine at the time named Scott Brown, a keyboard player. He said, "Oh man, I'm going to go down to SIR. They're having these auditions, but they're only audition keyboard players." So he and I go down there, and I actually walk into the room with him. You know, because I figured they wouldn't. You know, they weren't auditioning drummers, and. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening and I look up and I'm like, oh, wow, they're, they're auditioning drummers. Meanwhile, I had sat through <laughs> two drummers, right, trying to play this intro lick to this tune. And I says to one of the guys in the band, I says, him, I says man, you guys are auditioning drummers? He said, yeah. I said, man, you should send these cats home. <laughs> <laughs> I said, just send these cats home. I was so desperate. That was what that was. That was desperation. You know what I mean? I was like... It sounds like confidence. Uh, it, well, I was definitely <laughs> trying to pull it off like that, but because I definitely needed to gig. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I told him to send them, send them home, you know. And uh, yeah, that was the one gig I got through auditioning, you know. <laughs> everything I no, li- it's amazing. No, though. literally everything. Let me see. The, the well, there's the other interesting story. I, I hope I'm telling this right. I have to check with Marcus. Is that he said that Poojie Bell, who was a drummer at the time, couldn't do it or went to yeah. play with Erica Badu. This was 1998, 97. Yeah, yeah, I remember that whole, yeah, yeah that whole Erica Badu live yeah, exactly. album. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, think, so I get a call from Marcus saying, you know, I don't think I picked up the phone. He just said, call me back, you know, I wonder if you're open for some gigs, right? So when I, so I got. Had you had already known him or no? No, 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 no I hadn't okay. met Marcus. Um, 
I might have maybe through Sanborn's camp, but we hadn't really hung at any point. But so he calls and, you know, says, call him back. I, I do. And then once I get the gig, I think he told me he had a cup and he had two names in it. I got to ask this. I hope I'm not telling the story wrong. My memory is crazy these days. But I think he said, my memory serves. He said he had two names on it. It was myself and Lil John Roberts. And, he, <laughs> and I think is either I called him back first. He probably might have called both of us and I got back to him first or something like that. You know what I mean? Nice. So that's... <clears throat> That was the one other time. Because <laughs> Lil John's no yeah, slap Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not at all. So that, that's how I remember that. But that's funny because I got to ask him when the last time, next time I see him. But, uh, but yeah, everything else, Michelle, I was referred to. Michelle, that was uh, by David Fusinski. They were both a part of the Black Rock mm -hmm. Coalition at the time. Oh, yeah. nice. Um, and that kind of bled into Maxwell because uh, Melvin uh, Wawa Watson was producing a track and he asked me to play on it, you know, with, uh, on a Maxwell's record. Mm -hmm. And it was really through Michelle's camp and people I'd met in that camp, you know, um, Bob Powers was doing D'Angelo. He was producing mm -hmm. stuff for D'Angelo or engineering. And uh, they called me about playing on some stuff. That's how that happened. It was all word of mouth mostly. Um, Sam Bourne was calling me to do stuff. I was mostly working with Michelle at the time, and I'm sure that was, that was word of mouth. He told me at the time, oh, shoot, um, I'm trying to think of the drummer he had at the time. I guess Rocky, Rocky Bryant was playing drums with him in the mid-90s, uh, and I think he couldn't do it or something, so he was asking me to sub, and that's how that started. Um, yeah, everything, was, everything has been word of mouth. You know, it's been rare. Hmm. It's, it's been, you know, few, few auditions. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that sometimes the importance of being a good human and having relationships uh, doesn't get stressed enough. Yeah, yeah, this is, you know, this is, that's funny. When you first asked me, what did I learn from Berkeley? <laughs> I, I was actually saying, I have to go back and say, my first thought was to talk about, well, every gig really that I've gotten has been some, from someone that I met from Berkeley. Not everyone, but right. most people has been through word of mouth. Oh, call Gene or check. Maybe you should check this guy out. And it's been through connections yeah. of people and students and people I met at Berkeley, you know. So, mm -hmm. Well, even yeah. with, 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 well, Fifth Fusinski, David Fusinski, he wasn't at Berkeley. He was at New England Conservatory at the time, which is not far from Berkeley in Boston. And, and right. but yeah, recommendation through. So just in my college years, the people I've met, it's always been through word of mouth, you know. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah, I, man, I like, I know, and I talk about it a lot, but like the, I think people are so focused on their playing. And I, of course, your playing has to be yeah. great. Oh, yeah. right? Everyone's oh, playing. Yeah. Like, but everyone's playing is great once you get to a particular exactly. level. Then it's like, all right, who's cool and who's not? Because no one wants to work. No one wants to work with a jerk. So I think now, and I'm probably, you know, I'm probably projecting this a little bit and, and uh, maybe speaking out of line a little bit, but I think that a lot of people coming up now just think I just have to display all of these crazy chops and, and blazing speed. And like, that's, what's going to get me the gig. And I'm like, that's not what's going to, that might, that actually might get in the way. You get Yeah. Yeah. It depends. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, you can, that it might get you the gig. The thing is, is it is keeping it, you know what I mean? You still have to be somebody mm -hmm. easy to travel with somebody gets along all that, you know, all the social political stuff is still 
it's at play. It never stops. Yeah. Actually, that's that's really what it's about. Really, you know, people want to feel comfortable being able to express themselves, and all of that feeds into the music. It feeds into being on stage. You know, yeah, it, it's it's yeah. all in play all the time. So. Mm-hmm. It's hard to create magic with someone on stage when 15 minutes before that you guys were ready to fist fight in, the, in backstage. You know? It's hard. I've seen it done, but it's hard. <laughs> I've seen yeah. it done hey, the police did there it for years. <laughs> yeah, it, is, it can be done, but you know, you don't want to do it that way, you know. Yeah. yeah. There, there is a video. Uh, I remember watching the police. They'd walked off stage and either Sting jumps across the table or Stuart Copeland jumps across the table and punches the wow. other, like literally like across jumps across the table and punches him. Cause I think Sting played a song that, that Copeland didn't want to play or vice versa. Or wow. Something. Wow. That's right. Yeah. I think I have something about that with these guys going at it. Yeah. Some videos. Yeah. On them. Must. But they're feel, I mean, some of their live stuff, you, I feel like you can almost feel that tension. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in a good way, like right, in a, right. I, I know nothing about yeah. it, so I'll, I'll, I'll trust you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know yeah. either. I'm not yeah. like I'm making it sound like I'm I'm in good yeah. with the, the police camp. Yeah. I'm not. No, no, no. <laughs> let's, let's not yeah. uh, let's not get it confused. Right, here. right. No, I'm. Uh, yeah, I don't want to go by what I've seen, but yeah, I think. But I think you know. I mean, you you can do it. You know, you know, fighting and get out there. You just wouldn't want to do it that way. You know, and most people are right. concerned with you know. You know, how do you travel and you get along and all the stuff that you need to, to make good music, you know? Right. So, and I was going to say, too, if, especially if you're if you're a hired gun and you don't get along with people, you'll just get fired quickly. If you're in the band, it's, it's it might be a little harder to get rid of you. But mm-hmm. like if you're a hired gun and you're an asshole, they're like, yeah, man, you're out yeah, of yeah. Quickly. It's, it's always it's in everything. It's always people first, you know, you know, and the thing is, yeah. it's a little more immediate, you know, in the arts because. You know, in particular music, because you, you, you got to work together. You know, that's why guys are always right. like, yo, I had this gig, I'm going to call my boys. You know, oh, we're going to nail this. You know what I mean? We're going to get, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a good old exactly. boy network thing. You know, guys want to have their cats on the, on the hit because for that camaraderie, for the, for, the, for the instant gel, for the instant vibe, you know, all of that, which yeah. feeds into it. So, yeah. yeah. My buddy Jeffrey uh, played guitar for Misha Paris for mm. years. And, uh, and he said the tour manager, whenever they were firing someone after the gig, the tour manager would just go over and put his arm around the guy and be like, hey, man, let me holler at you. Oh, no. And they, like, that was his line. Oh, though. I see. Like, so everyone else in the band knew, like, this was going down. So, like, mm. and he would just be like, here's your, here's your plane ticket home and oh. we're going to get somebody else to, oh, wow. We're going to get somebody else to come in. So, like, Every time I played with this guitar player, we would like walk off stage. He'd be like, "Hey man, let me holler." Oh, shoot. Oh, I see. I see. Hey, <laughs> like just mess. We'd always mess with you. Yeah, yeah. But I. Yeah. That's funny. That's... <laughs> but I always thought it was a funny story. He would just be like really calm about it. Like, hey man, let me holler at you. Right, right. Here's your ticket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here's your here's your walking yeah. paper. Ouch! Ouch! <laughs> Ouch! To, uh, well, I'm man. sure that's you know that kind of thing goes down. You know, I'm sure it does. Yep. Yeah. Wow. So. Hmm. So man, yeah. Now you know one other thing. Other thing I want to speak about because this was, had a really good experience from pretty much 2014 to 2017. I was playing with Boss Gags, mm-hmm. and uh, the first time I'd done a gig where we were playing with Click and playing with Pro Tools, and even when we weren't playing with mm-hmm. Pro Tools, I was playing with Click sometimes. You know, just a metronome. Right. And, right. Uh, but I bring it up for me because it just brought me into the whole idea of 
you know, having to really be <laughs> on point with the click and how to listen, how to yeah. listen to the click. After a while, I started treating the click like a, you know, like a, just another musician. You know what I mean? Somebody just hitting it. Did, did you got, did you play with clicks live yeah. too? Oh yeah. Or I'm surprised that he plays with a click. Yeah. There was, like I said, there were a few tunes that were coming off pro tunes, pro tools, mm-hmm. uh, you know, covering some different parts. It was some trombone parts some background parts. Yeah. Yeah. Some horn parts, different different things, some strings, you know, live strings. Mm-hmm. So we were doing it for that kind of thing, you know. And then sometimes just, you know, when just to make sure the tune, I mean, you know, certain tunes live in a certain tempo and they feel good at a yeah. certain, you know. So you want to have that, make sure you, you know, you got that in play, mm-hmm. you have that in place, right? Yeah. So were you guys playing uh, "Call That Love"? That's my favorite. Call. Bob, Bob I don't think so. You know, one of the Steve Jordan. Steve Jordan's on the original version. Okay, was this a record from the two rec- One of the records he produced because I know he produced two records with. Yeah, that was on. Uh, what was the name? The name of the record was "Dig." Oh, okay, I'm not hip to that one. I'm not. Yeah, it's a great record. Okay, man. I. I mean, it's one. Of, it's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite Bob Skag records. Yeah, no. Maybe because Steve Jordan's playing drums on yeah, it. Yeah, no, that that cat. <laughs> I'm like, man, Steve. I like anything that Steve Jordan. Yeah, like, it could be Steve Jordan with like people ripping paper, and I would be into it. Yeah, you you talk about somebody. I think who you know, I I've met Steve Jordan. I never really talked to him about music, but from sitting from where I am, I get the sense that he he's someone that really has an understanding. You know, you know about the relationship between all the genres. You know, and, mm-hmm. and as you know, the drummer kind of carries the genre. You know, that's why we name the yeah. genres based after the rhythms, reggae rhythms or jazz rhythm or funk rhythm, you know, right. Latin rhythm. Right. You know what I mean? And, but yeah, he, you know, he's one of those monster cats out there, man. You know, yeah. Steve Jordan, man. Great. He's got, I saw him play a reggae gig one time. I was just blown away. My, you know, it was unintentional. My jaw was on the ground. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh. I mean, he just he plays everything, yeah. man, and he plays it well. Yeah, yeah, you know? just crazy. And, and I don't know the answer to this, and I'm not, I'm not leaning one way or another. I'd be interested to like sort of get people who are a lot more knowledgeable about it than me. But I wonder if he plays every style authentically, or if he just plays every style authentic to himself, and that's why it sounds so good. I- yeah, I guess if we had to put words to it, I would say both. You know, you know the yeah. stuff that he's been doing with John Mayer, the rock stuff, even the stuff with Boz. You know, like there was some like mm-hmm. Delta Blues stuff. Like there was some old swanky shuffles. You know what I mean? That I had to I had yeah. to get next to, and I was just like, damn, this is some. You know, he's just so in the groove. You know, just sonically, yeah. the symbols he chose, the sounds, everything is all all there. And with Boz. You know, he's got music, you know, he's got the blues stuff he's doing, you know, coming from the 60s, early 70s. And then, of course, the pop rock stuff in the, in the 70s to the smooth ballads in the 80s. And then he's got some, you know, he's got some R&B stuff. And then his show, mm-hmm. well, then he's got the two records, you know, that, he, that I, I think is two of them that uh, Steve Jordan produced. And mm-hmm. one of them is paying homage to, like, you know, Delta Blues stuff. And, and then another record is more kind of like, R&B and the whole R&B stacks kind of sound, that kind of thing. And so yeah. we would play Boz's set and my kit, you know, it's like, where do I tune my kit to sort of move through all these genres, you know? You know, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? It was, that was always the challenge, you know? At one point, like, I remember when we got to play Lowdown, I was literally physically moving a snare 
a, a higher pitched snare out of the way to put it, you know, to play that song. I was, you know, Boz would right. talk a bit, and then I would, in that period, I'd take, you know, move out my main snare and move in this, you know. It was just trying to find a happy medium because there would be times where, we, you know, we were playing like a, like a shuffle, almost like, almost like a rockabilly shuffle. You know what I mean? I don't mm-hmm. even know what to call it. It's like you got a little bluegrass in it. You know, it's like you're playing it. It was Steve Jordan. He's playing with brushes. And then I have to go from that to like, you know, Lido. You know what I mean? So, right, and the right, kit this right. is a totally different vibe, you know, a totally different way. And it was like, you know, spent time, you know, making that happen. How did you manage all, it was just snares basically? Or I, were you like, were you, you weren't changing like symbols and all that? Exactly. Kind of no, I had two snares. That was, you know, and there was yeah. a compromise, you know, I had, <laughs> had the production guys were all over my kit, you know, trying to find the best compromise because it's like what sounded good on one tune, you know, didn't sound good on the next. Right. So, yeah, right. so there was a, there was a compromise, you know, but, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I just, I just remember I wanted to bring that up because one of the things that stuck with me about doing that gig was moving like about four day four decades through four decades of music. You know, and the shifting the genre. Right. You know, at one point we're, we're playing like a bluegrass kind of shuffle to like an 80s pop power ballad. You know what I mean? And it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. They were like totally switching sensibilities, switch, switching vibes, you know. Right. And right. the cats in the band were really accomplished, really proficient. Everybody was, you know, uh, you know, really had a good time in that band. A lot of guys in that band were really, really, really good. And it was a, Mm-hmm. That was a, a really good experience. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. See, while you were while you were saying all of that, and I was like, I, like I was starting to, I was like sweating. Like, man, that's a lot to to try to get through all that. Like you said, like okay, not only not only am I mimicking the drummers who played on all these records, but I'm also mimicking trying to mimic the style. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Plus. The equi- then I got to make it work. Yeah. All these different, all these different genres yeah. work with with limited equipment. Exactly, right? exactly. <laughs> like you were telling me all that, and I was like, yeah. I was like, man, it's hot. In yeah, because you you know what it is because you want to be in the spirit, you know, of of what was happening. You know, there's like you know you play like yeah. a bluegrass shuffle, and then you go to a Lido rock shuffle. You know, you know what I mean, and you you know. Mm-hmm. So you know, after after a while, you know, doing it, being on tour so long, you know, of course, you know, we all got into it and. And, and, and knew what the, the set called for. But I just remember in the rehearsals there, it was like, okay, this is, we got some big leaps here. We're going to go from here to here. We're moving from middle of the 50s all the way up to the 80s, you know? Right. You know? Right. And how did the research, was, was there, uh, like, what was the research like on that? Were you, were you doing research on gear and like what people were using? And things no, like I that? wasn't, it wasn't that deep. No, no. it wasn't that deep. There was, no. There was a, I did have a gear change. I was um, endorsing Premier Drums from pretty much 2000s up in, two th- from the year 2000 up until 2015. And I went back to Pearl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got you. And I did. Got and, you. and that was, I bring that up because I, everyone reacted when I brought the Pearl kit. They were like, oh gosh. You know what I mean? Because they thought it fit better with what Boz was doing. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. wow. And so that was the only, only gear Thing. Pretty much, like I said, I had a drum tech at the time that was pretty much doctoring on the kit to try to find the happy medium, the compromise from all the different mm-hmm. styles we were doing. And, uh, and that was it. There, there wasn't too much, you know, it wasn't too much technical thing to it. You know, there was, like yeah, I said, yeah. it was just making it fit for, for pretty much the set, 
You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. the, the set that we were playing. Yeah. You know, so. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes mm -hmm. sense. So what do you have? I know that we're, you know, we're still in COVID, but what are some things that you're, are you working on things now? Or are you, are, are there things planned for sort of when COVID is, uh, is over? Yeah. It will be over, Gene. I, I promise. I hope It'll so. Be over good. At good some gracious. point. Um, All good and bad things come yeah, to Yeah. All right. Uh, right now I'm working on a, a project with a friend of mine named Freedom Brimdo. He used to, he used to sing in the Screaming Headless Torsos, the David Fusinski's band. And yeah, we're working on a project now. Um, we don't have a title for it, but it's essentially we are reimagining the tunes uh, of Al Jarreau. So oh, you know nice. what I mean. We just kind of just kind of rework them, reexamine them. You know, just put a different spin on it. So that's one project. Uh, I myself have you know I'm always kind of writing my own music. You know, I'm. Uh, in the midst of working on this on this one track with uh, Reggie Washington as a bass player, um, mm -hmm. and David Gilmore, a guitar player who's been playing in my band, and uh, I think and Ravi Coltrane is going to play on this one tune. He's a tenor player, and mm -hmm. so that's one project. And I think like the David Gilmore or a different a David different Gilmore? David Gilmore. <laughs> yeah, Got yeah, it's guitar player, not the David Gilmore. Now, what what band? <laughs> okay. David Gilmore? What he playing? Pink Floyd. Yeah, Pink right, Floyd. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, not different David Gilmore. I was like, man, you said that pretty <laughs> much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that always happens to David Gilmore. You know, David Gilmore, probably for both of them. David Gilmore looks up his name and, you know, he, he's not the David Gilmore. He's not that guy, you know. But, but, they, but you know <laughs> right. what? They, they both play guitars, right? So it's, it's going to yeah. happen. But yeah, so. I, I mean, it, uh, you might as well, you know, it's like David Gilmore on guitar and people are like, oh. Right, exactly. Hey. Well, you're not yeah, lying. No, <laughs> I know. There, there was you a know. guitar player my father worked with. His name was Michael Jackson. And it's like, okay, well, no, he's not that Michael Jackson. You know. <laughs> I, I, uh, my buddy texted me one time. He goes, he goes, uh, I'm sitting next to James Brown's son. And I was like, right. what? And I was like, oh my God. So I started asking him all these questions. He goes, oh, no, 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 not that James Brown. James Brown from like NFL Sunday, oh, James oh, right, Brown. Oh, right, right, right. I was like, oh, I was yeah, like, yeah, right. yeah. I was like, that's okay. That's cool, I guess. Yeah. I'm like, it's not as cool as James Brown's son. Exactly. Yeah, no, that, that, you think about that must be hard, right? The guys with all the different names that are, rela that are related. Yeah. But yeah, no, so that's, I'm doing yep. this project, you know, with those guys. Uh, it's going to be, hopefully it gets a digital release here. I don't, I hope, I think that's going to happen over the summer. And there are other musicians, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a host of other musicians writing different, you know, writing music for this project, which I actually don't nice. have, know the name of right now. <laughs> I don't know the name of the project actually. Um, so I can't plug it, but uh, I'm doing that. And then I'm, I, you know, more so I want to actually get more of a digital presence. I tried Last summer, I tried releasing things on YouTube and, you know, just little different songs. You know, I covered a couple of tunes, mm -hmm. you know, the Parliament tune, a tune by Thundercat. I've been doing that. Just having more of a digital presence, just playing online. I'm sure right. everybody, everybody's been doing that, you know, drummers and, and uh, you know, musicians in general. But putting more stuff online, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. I remember when uh, a friend of mine called me and told me that, you know, um, uh, Chick Corea was doing lessons on Facebook, you know, and then for him to mm -hmm. pass a couple of weeks ago, you know, that was, that was a tough one, you know, yeah, man. you know, uh, big, yeah. big fan of his and yeah, that was, that was crazy. That was 
I'm so lucky before I moved out of New York, I saw it when he was playing at the Blue Note, when he did that stand with, uh, he was playing, that week he was playing with Steve Gadd mm -hmm. and, uh, and went and saw, went and saw him play. I'm glad I did because, uh, yeah, obviously like, you know, his passing and everything. And I'd never seen him live before. Right. So I'm, I'm like very thankful that, uh, that, that I was, I, I don't want to say I was drug out, but my buddy Daniel was like, come on, man, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I was like, oh, I got some stuff going on. Like, he's like, let's just go. I'll, I'll let's get the tickets and go. So I'm real, oh man, I'm so glad that we did. Right. Now. Have you ever, have you seen him live? Had you seen oh, him yeah. live? Oh yeah. 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 Um, with uh, this drummer, Mark, is it Mark Gilmore? Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Mark Gilmore. Yeah. Excuse me. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> David Gilmore. Yeah. Cousin. Yeah, well, you know, I, well, I hesitate a little bit because the David Gilmore I'm speaking of, he has a brother <laughs> named Mark Gilmore who plays, who, who plays really? drums, who actually played on Michelle and Diego Cello's first record. So, yeah, really? shout out to Mark, you know. Yeah. Man, the world, the, my brain is yeah, exploding. Yeah, they keep all the names, all the Marks and the Gilmores <laughs> yeah. are all over the place. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, man, well, go so, ahead. I'm sorry. Go, what were you no, saying? no, go ahead. Uh, what you would mention, you would mention you, that you put stuff on YouTube. Is that the like? Where's the best place for people to to check out some stuff from you? Should they go to YouTube? Should like website? Instagram, yeah, Facebook? yeah, YouTube. Uh, my Instagram. I've been posting on Instagram as well, which is uh, Gene Lake Two. I think that's my handle there. Let me see. Um, and then also Facebook. I've been posting on Facebook. You know, I put the, all the videos in those three spots. Okay. Yeah, but the Instagram is yeah. That's that, I got it up here yeah, now. Gene yep. Lake too. Um, yep. And then uh, yeah, so if you put my name on YouTube, of course you'll find the you'll find my uh, channel there. And then and then I'm on Facebook. So I'm I'm posting those videos all at the same spot. I mean, not all the, all those spots. Nice. Right. Right, Just right, to, right. you know, keep it keep things moving a little bit. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. You know, especially now, like with the. I think that the lack of, uh, you know, lack of, of interaction with humans. Exactly. Like, I exactly. Guess, what else can we do? You know, we can do it digitally, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've been doing some, uh, 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 Paul Peterson is a bass player. Mm -hmm. Uh, he does these things on Instagram called funk Fridays. And it's like where he, and Paul knows a lot of musicians and I maybe participated on about three of them, two or three of them. Where I think every other Friday, I'm not sure, he puts out like about a minute and a half of just funk, you know, different tunes. Some of the stuff is kind of fusion -y, you know, and I mean that in the classic sense, not, you know, not in the basic yeah. sense. But, uh, but mostly kind of funk. So I've been participating with him on that, or collaborating rather. And, uh, and, then, and then teaching, you know, I've been doing some stuff at the new school. So keeping busy here, man. Nice. This, is, this is it. There's no, you know, I actually... Let's see, back in November, I did a gig. I've been doing some stuff with guitar player Oz Noy. You know, you know Oz? Yeah. And, yeah, and we played the Falcon, which is upstate New York. That was the last gig I played. And that was last year, believe it or not. That was in, I think, November of last year. And we actually had a great crowd. Had a good crowd. Nice. Yeah, that was nice. the last gig. Yeah, I used to go see, I used to go see Oz at uh, the 55 bar right. a lot. Yeah. <clears throat> we enjoyed that. You know, so hopefully we get things back on track. You know, this is get a chance to play again and you know gene we'll get there i promise <laughs> not that i have any control yeah, over none it. of us do but i'm an optimist yeah, no. same here same here <laughs> i try to be optimistic cool. 
Well, my man, I thank you one for uh, for taking the time to do this. I really do appreciate it. This podcast is impossible to do without great guests like yourself coming on and sharing their knowledge and their wisdom and and willing to uh, endure my ridiculous questions. So I I appreciate that. And thank you to Max for for connecting us. Yeah. And lining all this up, man, I appreciate it. And in the show notes to this episode, I'll I'll put links to some of the you know some of the tracks that you played on, but also how you know people can find you on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and all of that stuff. So. Cool. I want to give one more shout out to like, I didn't say anything about Steve Coleman and my whole experience there and uh, and the whole uh, you know Henry Threadgill, those 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 guys, you know. Uh, that was the big piece of my musical growth there. So, shout mm-hmm. out to them. Um, but yeah, that was it. Thanks for having me, man. I'm glad, you know, we of course we made this happen, even though we, we stumbled there a little bit, but we got back on track, you know. I take I take full responsibility That's for all. that, so I apologize well, about good. that. It's all good. All right. Well, thanks all right. again. Well, thank you, my man. I appreciate it. And uh, I'll talk all right. to you soon. Take care, man. There you have it, the one and only Gene Lake, and you can find all the show notes and everything by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 607, and go check out some of the records that he's played on. I'm telling you, you'll be blown away by his playing. Like I would go on YouTube, you can find him, go listen to records that he's played on. I'm telling you, you won't be... You will not be disappointed. So check that out. Again, all his info, all the show notes and everything at drummersresource.com forward slash session 607. And other than that, that's all I got. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummers Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon and graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com. Mm-hmm.